Good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Kendall. How are you today? I'm excellent. I'm doing really good. I am, um, as as I like to say, be transparent every time we start the show. A little mm -hmm. fragile today. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, you know, I just got done talking to Thomas Orjala on our last episode. And we talked about the Urantia book, and he was saying that one thing he learned from the Urantia book is that we can't blame, like, our states that we're in on, like, the stars and the cosmos, and there's no real connection and, and all that. And I thought, oh, man, <laughs> I've lost an out. <laughs> it, took, it took away your scapegoat, right? <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, you know things come up we do our our internal personal work and then uh and then it comes back up well that's the thing i mean even though we're leading community we have our own personal journeys and work that we're doing yeah. too because i've been a little vulnerable um for a period of time now too so yeah, yeah i mean our personal so, work doesn't stop either no never and if it does ride over get off next <laughs> next time <laughs> right right so um i just want to acknowledge that and say um for all of our listeners who might be feeling the same way that um whether you think it's because of the cosmos or something different um we're with you and um and then we get to move on and do beautiful things even in the middle of all that so yeah well we 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 still choose to show up yes to life yes exactly yeah so this Wednesday, um, we are continuing with our promise to uh, include more men in the conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the man who we have here today, um, actually, we were in contact with a year ago, and the universe was like, no, sorry, not going to be having that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, the email got lost. And, and then when I went to go just like root through emails to find what, what men do I know that we need to hear from, mm -hmm. um, this email was there again. And I'm so glad that it was because uh, Hollis Crittenton of Choices for Recovery is our guest today. And Hollis is the executive director of this organization down in Charlotte. Um, and when I went to the website, it was one of those um, moments you know how I behave in those moments. It was one of those moments. So there was there was a lot of um, body uh, reactions and jumping up and down and some cuss words because you know that seems to happen when there's spiritual excitement. I'm not sure why. And um, and you know there were there were moments. And so um, and you know at Lighthouse Spiritual Center, which is our home base, and also. Our, our project, Spiritual Charlotte, the whole point of what we do is that we think that um, spirituality and healing are like really the same kind of path mm -hmm. and that one doesn't happen without the other. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's why this is a perfect guest for this show today. So we're not going to let him speak yet, though, because... <laughs> He's, he has to wait until we do our... Behind the morning, pretend door. Behind the pretend door. <laughs> In the pretend green room. That's right. Um, as we do our morning announcements. And so, um, you remember in school, morning announcements? Yes. I feel like do, this... do, do, do. We need the little xylophone <laughs> bell thing. <laughs> so, you can hit the bell and then go forward with the morning announcements. Okay, here we go. Yes. So, first on the list of the morning announcements... <laughs> So these are some activities coming up here at Lighthouse. We have uh, coming up this Wednesday, which is today, actually tonight, 
No, this morning. I'm confused. Can I? Yes, that's okay. So the day the podcast comes out. Yes, the day the podcast, because we're recording on Tuesday, peeps. In reality, (laughs) that's why I'm really confused. Okay. So I'll just say this. Wednesday, October 25th at 10 in the morning till 1230, Kendall is hosting a soulful business powwow which is for entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in the making who are trying to figure out or keep up with all of the marketing stuff. Um, Things that wear you down and make you feel overwhelmed and scatterbrained. Um, But she can really help guide you to a place where you can understand your message a little better and give you some tools to better support how you can be an authentic entrepreneurship. On Friday... This Friday, uh, October 27th, from 7 to 8.30 p.m., we have a Drumming for Wellness workshop with Julie Alexander. It's a 90-minute workshop for anyone who wants to explore group rhythm making as a vehicle for personal and community well-being. And then on Saturday, the 27th, no, the 28th, excuse me, from 10 to 2, um, we have a vision board workshop with Terry Carver of TLC Life Coaching. She is a life coach that um, offices here out of Lighthouse. return to the point of the show because Hollis Crittenton from Choices for Recovery is here and Hollis has a story that um, if you have been through um, addiction you probably can relate I don't know if at this level you can relate this is a really an exceptional story of survival um, and I think we want to talk about that, but we also want to talk about what addiction really is and some of the um, options for treatment and for um, living a new life that maybe go beyond just the 12-step model. So Hollis is coming from the green room, walking into the show. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yay, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm grateful for this experience. Thank you so much. So, tell us a little bit about, um, well, no, don't do that. You tell me what's the right start place for this conversation. Mm, That's a good question. So, I think we should start where it all ended for myself um, at the end of of my addiction. Um, I was 25 years old. 
and uh, up up until that point, I uh, from 19 to 25, I'd been to treatment uh, 24 times, and uh, jailed over 30, and uh, a handful of overdoses. Uh, 21, I was in a coma for a month. Um, had a white light experience in there. Another uh, another near death experience a couple few years later. And then at 25, my my final experience that, that led me into recovery <clears throat> was one uh, I had found myself once again in the back of an ambulance. Uh, I can't even count the times on both my hands that I had been in the back of an ambulance. And uh, they were rushing me to the hospital. My heart was coming through my chest. And I remember... I remember the EM, EMT, I remember him looking into my eyes and uh, I, I remember thinking to myself, I, I just wish I could have told my dad that I loved him and, uh, and thank you for not giving up on me. Mm. Um, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to ever do that again. Uh, so they rushed me to the hospital and uh, I, I, was, uh, I was choking on that simple thing that we call air, the breath, the thing that we take, uh, I take um, for granted every single day, the thing that gives me life. And I'm sitting there, laying there, choking on my air. Mm. And the nurse was looking at me in the eyes. And uh, she had the most hopeless look on her face. Like, it's too late for you, son. You know, uh, there's nothing we can do. And uh, and that's when my soul left my body. Um, I guess we can start there. That's a real start point. Yeah. yeah. So, we're going to have to breathe during this show. Yeah. <laughs> no held breath. No held breath. Um... Can I back up a little bit with you to find out where the seeds for addiction were planted for you? That's a really good question. So when I look back on my experience, coupled with the the knowledge that I've read um, from from people like Gabor Mate, who is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I, I love that man. That's a bell ringer. Can you give me one? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we like Gabor too. I love what he stands for. Uh, I love his open-mindedness. I love his progressiveness. Uh, he, he's not stuck in this old uh, belief system of, of one way. Um, he, he has opened it up to try to help uh, as many lives as possible. So uh, I love him for that. Um, so the, these, uh, this information that I've taken in um, from people like him and several others, Kevin McCauley is another one that I'd love to give a shout out to, and along with my mentor, John Donovan. So that, this information coupled with my experiences as a child, um, I grew up in a, a very loving, beautiful family 
for for the most part <laughs> as most of us could say um i i had what i needed uh, my parents showed me love my siblings they showed me love um grew up in a, a nice house nice neighborhood and uh it was uh i was 13 14 years old when i started dabbling with uh, alcohol and, and marijuana and nicotine and uh i was 14 turning 15 and me, me and one of my best friends at the time that's when me and him really started experimenting with uh with with weed and so you know we're we're riding our bikes around the neighborhood going to the you know the the pools all that good stuff living it up and i remember distinctly being in my, my backyard in a tree fort with him drinking beers uh one summer before i was going off to boarding school and i go off to boarding school and, and I, I thought I had uh, somewhat arrived at that point. Like, this is it right here. Mm -hmm. You know, this is it. Mm -hmm. Those summer days, you know, one of the best friends. And um, a few weeks later, I go off to uh, boarding school. And I get a call about uh, no, no more than two weeks being at school. And the person on the other line said, Barrett, my best friend that I was talking about, um, has died. And I thought to myself, what the hell? You know, that's, I, I, my, the human mind for myself being so young, I uh, couldn't quite fathom something like mm -hmm. that. And uh, so it was at that point when I could have gone one way or I could have gone the other way. And my path chose me to take this other way. So that uh, experience, experience, that situation was very traumatizing for myself. And at the time, instead of uh, sharing my feelings about the situation for myself, I shoved them down mm -hmm. and um, uh, I, I bottled those things up. And uh, addiction substances really help with keeping those things down mm -hmm. for quite some time. So for myself, I look at it uh, from a, a trauma standpoint. That's what, where it started. Um, and then you get into the the, uh, the environmental factor after that. What happened after that traumatic event? That uh, did that environment allow me to heal properly, mm. to get out these emotions, these feelings, all these mm. things I was bottling up, or was that not a, a conducive environment for that? Mm. To be honest with you, there there was the opportunities to heal from that. My uh, I chose a different path, so mm. environment plays a very uh, key factor in that role because you have a lot of people who have very similar experiences as to what I had, but they don't have addiction to that. So, does that answer your question? Yeah, this layer of it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, the environment that you were in when this trauma took place for you was at boarding school you were um, I'm assuming you were already in a social <coughs> environment where at boarding school was a social environment was was weed and alcohol kind of a norm already at that point somewhat yeah somewhat yeah, yeah. Um, and so when you say when trauma met environment the environment wasn't totally conducive 
Was it an absence of, of, of healing language? Was it an mm. absence of spiritual language? Mm. Was it an absence of that reality? Those are good. That's a great question right there. Uh, and the answer to that would be yes. But uh, at the same time, uh, we do the best we can with the information that we've been given. Every, every person does the best they can with the information they've been given. So in, in that situation, at that school, I do believe this was a uh, quite a preppy boarding school that they were, they were handling as best they could. Um, I just needed something a little bit different for myself. The way they uh, chose to handle that, um, you know, it wasn't the best for, for myself or my soul. Um, yeah. Mm. So, as you as you go forward and you're kind of shutting down this trauma and you're trying to be a student and trying to be a son and and all that, what's what? How does the um, the story roll from there? Do you do you realize? Oh, wait a minute! I feel better when I do this thing, and that's just what I'm gonna. That's gonna be kind of my modus operandi. You know what happens after that? Mm. So, you know, with addiction, that, that first year after that, I started experimenting more so uh, with things like Robitussin. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I would do that, you know, occasional alcohol, still weed. Um, but what I was doing, so any addiction um, is, all addiction is, any addiction is the escape, to escape from your current reality. Mm -hmm. any addiction you're trying to, to block out and um, and so I was just trying to block out my feelings my emotions and stuff and substances worked really really well for that right up to the point that they stopped working and at that point I, I continued to go on and on and on so you know I grew up in um, Myrtle Beach mm. and uh, in Myrtle Beach uh, the crowd that I hung, hung out with was we were all young partiers that was that was you know we were little neo hippie young partiers and so so this so this stuff this all this was norm mm -hmm. and so early on it would not we would not have been able to distinguish an addict from mm -hmm. from any of the rest of us um, and when I was 17, my best friend, uh, who was in that group, um, while she was drunk, hit somebody that had graduated from our high school mm -hmm. who was on a bicycle and killed him. And I, I chose at that point to move into kind of a world of Al-Anon and um, understanding addiction. Uh, didn't stop me from what I was doing, obviously. But... Um, you know, early on, it was hard to separate um, those who this was going to be like a li like a um, a life threatening illness versus, uh, and I don't know if you referred to it as an illness, but you know, versus that they would kind of grow up and grow out of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so, so when you talk about this, I know about it from that level. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have to reconcile the stuff that Gabriel Mate talks about because at some point there was a, a switch inside me that that I, I haven't been able to figure out is this a genetic thing or not that mm -hmm. didn't turn on for me and I don't know is this a genetic component that I just got lucky in this way is this a is this an energetic thing 
Um, I do know that early on that I realized that two roads diverged in a yellow wood and I wanted to go the spiritual route, but it, but it, but it, I was spiritual and doing this shit at the same time. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. Do you, I mean, what yes. are you hearing? So, you know, I've been contemplating that question for a long time myself. <laughs> but I think, you know, many uh, addiction specialists have been taking a look at uh, that question. You know, we want to know where this comes from. And from what I've gathered, we don't, it's not just one thing. Yeah. Period. So, uh, yeah. so w- when you were talking, what was coming up for me was there's a, a woman named Maya, forgot her last name, but she wrote a book called Unbroken Brain. And I encourage uh, all listeners to, to read that, to have a good understanding um, of, of, of how addiction kind of works, how it progresses. So what she says is that addiction is a learning disorder. It's a behavior disorder that we pick up over time. <clears throat> so let's say, let's use Gabor Mate's, um, he's a big believer in it's all trauma-based, which uh, I, I am to a degree, but I don't want to just point it at that one. Mm-hmm. I, I support that and I see what he's saying. But so with these traumas, what it's doing is uh, rewiring your brain, hardwiring your brain, to, so you're learning that you know you these these behaviors and action is the way your brain is molding that. So these traumas are causing the brain to learn to, to mold that way, which becomes a learning disorder because you've learned that, mm. which makes complete sense. Um, Kevin McCauley, uh, a, a guy that I have the utmost respect for, I live with out in Utah, has helped save my life. Um, has dedicated his life to, to understanding this question. Is it disease? Is it not a disease? What is it exactly? He believes it is a disease because it, it, it hijacks our midbrain. Mm. So our midbrain is our... Um, can I cuss on this show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. The, the, the part of your brain that operates fuck, fight, and flee. Mm. You know, it, it's that part of your brain, and it, it, it talks like that too. That's how the midbrain talks. So it's right here, right now, instant. Um, and so that's where addiction operates. And it, it, it hijacks that part of your brain. That's why you see a lot of individuals who are struggling with addiction um, doing things that are, others would be like, oh my gosh, you know, he's operating in that manner. That is, that mm. is insane. That's crazy. Mm. And for the addict, or I don't like that word, for the individual struggling with addiction, um, that's how his brain is operating. You know, uh, a lot of loved ones look at uh, at people and their actions, and they're like, um, you know, how how is he continuing to do these drugs after all these things that, that has happened to him? In that person's brain, it's like, oh, you know, they see that it's killing me, and in my reality, this is what's keeping me alive. Mm. You know, these loved ones are like, these these drugs are killing me. I mean, killing my loved one, mm-hmm. and, and the the individuals thinking these things are are what's keeping me alive. Mm-hmm. The perspective on that, and that's because the the brain has been hardwired at the midbrain level and other parts, but hardwired to think in that that manner. Mm-hmm. Hijacked. What are you thinking? I, that was just a very powerful statement. That the same situation, but the two perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. So, you know, I, this, this topic feels so large and I mean, 
Hollis, before you came on the show, it was like last week when we talked, you know, honestly think I started getting uh, fragile then. <laughs> this is what was happening. And, and it's because I've lived in this world. I know this world, but somehow I got some tiny pass not to go all the way in. And, um, and of course, loving other people who have struggled with addiction and, um, it's just a big, it's a big bite to chew. So now that I said nothing, said a lot without saying anything, (laughs) uh, I think that, you know, the, the, there are curiosities for me. My, like, there's curiosities that I don't know if you feel are relevant. Some of those curiosities are, um, is it worth it to talk about how, you know, weed and then uh, this and then cocaine and then heroin and then every single thing you can get your hands on and then, is that an important part of the conversation? Uh, or not? Yes, it is. Okay. It is. Let's let's go there then. So, this is good. Um, what, what Gabor Mate talks about is it, not why the addiction, but why the pain, why the separation. Um, Johan Hari talks about uh, in his book, I forgot what the book is called, but uh, the opposite of addiction is is not recovery; it's connection. So why are people in our society losing this vital connection to who they are? Mm. I mean, this is, this, is, this is addiction right there, you know? It's losing the essence of who we are. And this, is, this has become a societal thing in, in, in the U.S. You look at a lot of other countries and the addiction rates aren't near what we are here in the United States. Mm. So why? Well, you know, let's take a look at, at that. Is it our school system? Is it our, is it our TVs? Is it our family system? What is that dynamic that is causing so much addiction in our country? Why, why are people wanting to leave who they are? Mm-hmm. Or feel like they can't be who they are mm-hmm. for, out of fear, mm-hmm. but they're still trying to survive somehow, finding a way to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Uh Debbie, when you and I met, one of the central conversations we were always having was helping people remember who they are, helping people remember who they are, helping people remember who they are. We talk about it all the time. All the work we do leads to that. All the, every one-on-one service we do is about that, (coughs) right? Um, That's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful and also like alarming, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a recognition of the epidemic. And so... If I take myself back to that time in my life when I was really lost, right? And what I see there, and Debbie, like, come with me because I want to know what you saw when you were there. But I take myself back to being a young person who had discovered, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, drugs and sex and and everything. And so uh, if I could say what was wrong, what was happening that I was trying to get away from. I remember just being pissed about everything. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing so many contradictions in the adults around me. I remember that 
the things that I felt that um, I was really empathic were not being confirmed. I was actually being punished for being mm. that way. I remember that I had a suspicion that there's a lot more to this whole thing that nobody was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me, that made me, I believe, on a very energetic level, very angry. Mm. And um, and I feel like that our that young people, because I feel like that's kind of when when this kind of experimentation is going to start. And it's starting younger and younger, I think. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's, a, it's 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 the root of it is a knowing, like like the way that my that this is happening, the way that the school what the school is focusing on, mm-hmm. what I see in my family unit, the contradictions I see, the hypocritical things I see. Um, this is really bothering me on some level, yet, yet there's no language about it. Mm. So there's nobody to tell it to. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see me. And yet I still have to do my job, which is go to school, be a good kid, be a good um, uh, student. And there's no authentic dialogue. And so for mm-hmm. me, I just became an exhibitionist. So it's kind of like, well, you know, if you guys aren't going to uh, get real, then uh, I guess I will. You know, well, at that point, then then, then problems. Mm-hmm. Do you remember being at the lost point? Now, you were always, you were a good kid, though. Yeah, but, but I was a good kid because I was the rule follower, because that's how um, I felt that love was going to be, mm-hmm. I could receive love in my family. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how the behavior pattern was taught to me. I know that was not an intentional teaching by how my parents right. raised me. Right. I know that. As an adult, I know that. But I felt like I had to be a chameleon. I had to be like however they expected me to be because any time I diverted from that, then I was, you know, my feelings, my desires were negated. Mm. It's like, no, you're not going to do that. We want you to do this. Well, I want to do this. I want to dance. I don't want to take piano lessons. Well, sorry, we don't want to pay for dance lessons. We're going to pay for piano lessons, and this is what you're going to do, as an example. So there was a there was just uh, keep your head down, keep the peace, and then you become numb. And so for me, then there was exploration at a young age with boys, inappropriate behavior with boys, and feeling like that's how I was going to gain connection. Mm-hmm. And um, even though I was a popular kid at school and I, you know, had lots of friends and stuff like that, there was something that still drove me that way. And, um, you know, I experimented with alcohol and stuff pretty young too. Um, but that was just kind of a foreign thing for me there for a while. But yeah, there was, there was, there was pain at being ignored, feeling like I wasn't seen. Mm-hmm. And probably a different addiction pattern, mm-hmm. an addiction pattern to being a chameleon, an addiction pattern mm-hmm. to, to having it all together, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I look back and I think to myself, I didn't want to be numb. Mm-hmm. That's not what I wanted. I wanted to feel mm-hmm. things beyond the level that was socially acceptable. I wanted to feel them so much that if I went to something that helps create an extreme experience, like acid, sex, um, uh, that type of thing, where all the rules 
fall away, mm -hmm. then I could feel things. Mm -hmm. Then it was like, oh, now I'm visceral. Now that now now this is what I want, and it was more of it, more of it, more of it. And so I find it interesting that you talk about how these that your experience of substance abuse shoved everything down. Mm -hmm. Do you think in some way that it made you feel alive though? Uh, that this is this is an awesome topic. So we're we're talking here about feelings and stuff and about how we relate to our feelings growing up. Um, shoving uh, my feelings down at that time, I was doing the best I can uh, with the information that I've been given. I, I had a father that operated in that manner. Mm -hmm. So I learned from my father to shove down my feelings. Mm -hmm. Also, in our communities, in our societies, as a men going up, uh, we're taught to be tough, we're, we're taught to, to not show our feelings, we're taught to not cry, we're taught not, you know, don't show emotions. Mm -hmm. You shove down those feelings, you pick up, and you keep mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. And as women in our society, it's, you, it, you know, years ago, you, you, know, you go, you, you go in the house, you take care of the kids, you cook, you clean, you do that type of stuff. Don't We don't need any emotions. We don't need to talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. Mm -hmm. That's a breeding ground for, for what? Addiction right mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what what you're sharing about, about feeling feeling these feelings. I remember the first, my, my mentor, John Donovan, when I first met him, this man, <laughs> he'd been working in the uh, Sacramento County prison system for 25 years, and he was talking about feelings. And I'm just like, oh, this, this is some new stuff right here. <laughs> <laughs> this is some new stuff. He's taking this into the prison system, talking about feel your feelings, you know? Because our, our feelings, uh, that, that is our guidance system. Yeah, right it's there. your inner GPS, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is, that's where it's at. Mm -hmm. through, those, through those feelings and those, through those feelings and emotions, that's our gateway to, to expansiveness right there. And so he taught me all this stuff. And I remember I thought I was somewhat of a, a gig beggar going up, that type of mentality. You know? <laughs> and I'm in recovery my first few years, and I'm thinking the same type of thing, you know. I have my, my soft side, of which I, who I truly am, and then my, my hard, you know, my hard side that I like to show some of the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember him allowing me, allowing me to feel this. And as a man in our society, and having another man mm -hmm. allow me to feel this, mm -hmm. it was uh, powerful. Giving you permission. Yeah. Giving you a safe space. Mm -hmm. That's very powerful. Yeah. To be witnessed by another human being. Mm -hmm. and, and very much so a man, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a tough, burly man mm -hmm. feeling that. I was mm -hmm. like, wow, mm -hmm. I can do this. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is okay. Yeah, yeah. And so. And isn't it amazing that something so basic as feeling your feelings that we need a we need a permission on it? We live mm -hmm. in a culture that mm -hmm. you have to be permitted to go mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you say to be to be witnessed by another human being. Mm -hmm. That's the epidemic. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the epidemic. Yes, disconnection. Uh, that, that yes, that goes back to what Johan Hari says: the lack of connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and when when we're in inauthentic relationships, mm. they're not really relationships because you're not relating with each other. Yeah. So there's no relating. And so it, it just it continues breeding that disconnection. When on the outside, it might look like there's connection. So let's say whatever the group or organization or community, whether it's school or a religion or a, a 
a fraternal organization, anything, you might be part of a, a visible group. But if, but if the conversations are not authentic and they are not heartfelt and they are not emotion-based, then you're left feeling emptier than probably when you walked in the door mm. and yeah. twice as confused. Mm. Even if you don't recognize that you're confused, you just know something didn't feel right. <laughs> Eventually you figure out something didn't feel right with that. Mm. You know, it's like being in a room full of people and feeling alone, mm. right? being in a room full of people and feeling alone. And so what I learned at an early age was, okay, so this is how this works. So my best bet is to master appearing like I am completely unaffected by this. Mm -hmm. And if I can master that, then I can survive it. Mm -hmm. And so, well said. suck, fight, or flee. This was the first 25 years of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds kind of harsh when you think about being a five-year-old. Maybe, maybe let's skip up to about age ten. <laughs> but take us to Hollis. Take us to, um, unless you want to go further down into the story of your addiction and talk about some of the circumstances around going into treatment and being jailed and some of the ODs. I would like to um, move into a conversation about where the crack formed that allowed the light to come in. Mm -hmm. So, where that started was, I mean, I go back, I always reference my spiritual experiences because that's literally where the light came through the cracks yeah you know yeah and even though i didn't stay sober after those experiences it, I, I i always knew that there's something else out there mm -hmm. rather than this illusion that i see on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. this pain-filled living mm -hmm. so that those experiences always gave me a sense of, of hope and, and comfort and, and relief in that regard um lot of times y'all sometime you know to the point of why, why can't I just go back there mm. why do I still got to be here in this mm. in this human body yeah. uh, subconsciously I'm sure I was I was thinking that um, yeah so can you tell us specifically like some some of the parts of that that particular those spiritual experiences the things that you couldn't pretend they didn't happen after mm -hmm. they happened mm -hmm. sure uh, so my first introduction to to that uh, to that light was I, I was in a coma for uh, quite a while back when I was 21, 22, and uh, got out of that coma. A few months later, I'm already back doing drugs again, mm -hmm. and uh, I uh, I was I was somewhere, and uh, it was in the morning time, and my my soul left my body. And uh, and I was being pulled by a beautiful white, mm. a beautiful white light, and uh, it was pulling me towards it. And my soul did not want to go towards that light. My soul fought so hard to go towards that light, even though it was what it was—absolute beauty. Um, my soul knew it wasn't my time. 
and and then I came back into my body, and it was then when, when I I remembered because um, I I always know this at a soul level, but I, I remembered with these things that are that are out there that are within us also, so the light that shines within. So you're in a hospital room, or no? Mm-hmm. And th is that your first experience mm -hmm. of what you call a near-death experience where mm -hmm. a decision was made and you saw something on the other side of that that you had not seen before? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And what happens after that? Do you start reading books? Mm. Do you start asking questions? Mm. Uh, I started asking questions. Uh, I got back into my addiction. You know quickly after that after that experience but I at that point I was asking questions I remember going to a church actually you know around my parents house after that my dad took me to the church and uh, I remember sharing that stuff with some of the people and I don't know they they were not too keen on it <laughs> I mean they looked at me like I was crazy like this guy's literally on drugs right now I get it I understand that you know all my experiences up to that point would that's very valid but uh, I left that church and didn't have very many uh, uh, answers to my questions and that's okay but uh, I, I did start searching uh, after that things uh, uh, my perspective has shifted so yes and so um, you're searching you're asking questions about the nature of reality and that type of thing and is that what you mean or mm -hmm. questions about On, I had overdosed on crystal meth and uh, when my soul left my body that one time, you know, the last time, it went to a dark place and it was in that place where it was like I was in, I was in a line with other souls and I, we were like traversing up a, a hill, like a mountain. And I just remember having the overwhelming feeling of this is not the right place for me. This is this is not for me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I came back into my body, and they they stabilized me, and I went to a place called Brotman Hall that night. And uh, as you can imagine, I had quite a long day, uh, just trying coming in and out of life. And I check in maybe nine or ten o'clock at night. This was in LA at this point. Uh, and I go in, check in, go in, and sit down on the bed. And uh, <clears throat> I start bawling, crying. And I hadn't cried like that in who knows how long. All that pent up energy, emotions, all that stuff, I just let it loose. And it was in that moment of surrender, coupled with allowing. Um, that all these souls started coming into the room, just filling the room. And they gave me the feeling of, um, first of all, that everything's okay and always will be okay. 
Yeah. I just wish I could remember this information more often. Too shy. So uh, they gave me the remembrance of who I am, unconditional love at a soul cellular level. That that is mine, yours, and everyone's divine birthright. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is who we are, and they they help me remember that. Um, there's not much that needs to be said after that (laughs) (laughs) so after that do you um, do you uh, go back to substance abuse again Uh, I went back for a couple days uh, Mm. right after that and then the law caught up with me in the line time, <laughs> literally a couple of days. I just died, you know. Just how things work out for myself. I'm very grateful. Um, a few days later, I got caught up, and I was looking at some extensive legal charges. So uh, it was uh, go serve a decent amount of time, or go to treatment, long term treatment for about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I chose the treatment option. Was the treatment facility um, that you went to at that point <clears throat> integral in, in, in walking this new walk? Was it a place that was mm-hmm. good, for lack of a better term, for mm-hmm. you? Yes, it was. Uh, I had a connection there with my therapist that was a beautiful connection. Uh, she, uh, she allowed me to be my authentic self, and she challenged me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the treatment center, all that stuff, that connection with her that I had was uh, was unique and special. I was still operating from my old uh, belief system a lot of the time, you know, mm-hmm. just some of the smaller things like uh, stealing things, like mm-hmm. um, uh, doing things that I shouldn't be doing, you know, smoking cigarettes when I shouldn't be, that type of stuff. But And she knew of these things. And she also knew what I was facing. She knew of these things and still loved me and challenged me and pushed me and didn't make me feel... Didn't make me feel that I was a screw-up or, or, excuse my language, but a Mm fuck-up. Like, I felt so deep for so long. Mm -hmm. So, Debbie, what is happening for you right now? Just hearing kind of this part of the story, because... The pain, the the pain that we um, can internalize and, I mean, just what you just said about believing that you were a fuck up mm-hmm. and to have somebody mirror to you that you're not a fuck up, that, that there is hope, that you are divine in your own right and that you... Um, that, that these these layers of things that we take on mm-hmm. of other people's ideas of who we are mm-hmm. or what we're expected to be or how we're supposed to behave um, in essence are coming from people who are wounded in the same way they just may not have been manifested in addictive behaviors or recognizable addictive behaviors yeah I would say recognizable is yeah. the keyword. <laughs> yeah yeah well said yeah yeah 
You know, um, it's, it's no secret that the path that Debbie and I have been on is um, that there, there was uh, a lot of psychology. Mm-hmm. I should have been a psychologist for how many psychologists, right, mm-hmm. that I had to spend time with. But a lot of psychology, and psychology rolled into spirituality. It was like psychology was the gateway drug <laughs> into, <laughs> into spirituality. And, and the addiction at that point was healing. I'm addicted to my own healing at this point because if not, we're not getting out of here alive. And guess what? We're not getting out of here alive. But, you know, that, mm. that was the thing. And so I, I, got I, I beg to differ with that comment, by the way. Yeah. We, we do get out of here alive. Very good point, so actually. I want to die alive. That is my intention. Mm-hmm. Because oh, I it, if I if I do know, I do know that this is all what it is. You know, when I leave this body again, I want to I want to be alive and choose when I leave this body. Mm-hmm. Excellent correction. Thank you. Sorry about that. No, no. it's really good mm-hmm. because it's funny that I need you to say that back to me because again, that's a, that's what all our work is about, right? Is that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it was it was a thing of uh that psychology rolled into spirituality and that there was and that once i understood that there was a a whole new way to do this thing there was no going back at that point there was a little going back but not (laughs) they were they were brief visits they were brief visits um and of course and and then and then you come to your own bottom where you you can't you cannot you cannot do it anymore that way so um talk to us a little bit about if you would um because choices for recovery uh has some components in it that i've not seen in a treatment model and when i asked you kind of where some of those components come from it seemed like you were saying these are some things that i found that i needed and we want to give those back out Mm -hmm. And some of them seem, all of them seem very spiritual to me. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Sure. So, uh, they're all, everything is spiritual. Y'all, y'all know this. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Everything at the core essence is spiritual. So, mm-hmm. uh, we just forget that. Uh, what Choices is about, uh, it, it got created through, through my experiences. Um, what, what worked for me, what didn't work for me. Um, you know, different healing modalities, different paths uh, that all uh, came together, came to fruition to, to mold into the, what I believe is the best uh, version to offer people struggling with addiction. Um, so we do a lot of right brain stuff at Choices to get into our feeling bodies. Uh, going back to the point of, of that we store all these emotions, feelings in our feeling bodies. We need to tap into that to release those, and then what? Do, what do you want from there? Because we create our own universe. We create mm-hmm. our worlds. Mm-hmm. So many people don't know that we create our worlds, mm-hmm. but everything that we've ever gotten, we've created. You know. Yeah. You know. So um, with these right brain healing modalities, we have neurofeedback. What neurofeedback does is uh, what we do to the brain, the neurotransmitters, and the neuropathways from addiction. We we. We screw those things up, to say the least. I mean, they're going haywire up and down. Mm-hmm. So what uh, neurofeedback does is it calms the brain down enough with electrical impulses 
to rewire those neural uh, pathways so the information that you're taking in from day one to a hundred can quite possibly stick rather than mm. you know you just grabbing onto your chair and, and kicking and screaming mm. so it calms mm. the brain down it also allows when it calms the brain down it allows the trauma to come up and be released mm. uh, so neurofeedback was uh, integral from my healing and myself. Um, it still is to this day. I just got back into neurofeedback because uh, I'm struggling with some sleep th things right now. Uh, so a few other things, yoga, y'all are informed about yoga. Uh, what it has done to my, for, for myself and my nervous system, it has calmed down my nervous system quite a bit. Um, help that healing process. It also is a bit of an exercise, so um, it gets the, uh, the brain um, activated in the, in the right direction for that. Uh, we have uh, Tai Chi, uh, we have nutritional counseling, uh, we have hypnotherapy. Um, and how do you all use um, my hypnotherapy and uh, yeah, how do you use hypnotherapy at Choices for Recovery? Okay, so what hypnotherapy are... <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is, but we're going to blow right through it. <laughs> you might just have to speak louder okay. while... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Our next door neighbor makes some noise. Yes. So how is hypnotherapy used at Choices for Recovery? So uh, we operate from this belief system, these past experiences. Uh, our experience is, is like an iceberg, you know. Um, at the tip of the iceberg is one-tenth of, of what we can see consciously. We're operating from a nine-tenths part of our, our experiences all below. We can't see all that stuff. And so what hypnotherapy does is get into our subconscious minds, which is our feeling bodies. That, that is our mm -hmm. feeling bodies because we store everything in our bodies mm -hmm. and so it gets into those feeling bodies allows um, whatever needs to take place to take place it also brings what's in the subconscious mind to the conscious mind so you can release it mm -hmm. and that those are emotions and feelings that just come up and, and release so. kind of like a bubbling up mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and uh, energetically I guess and physically and mind, body, spirit, what's happening in Tai Chi at, mm, at your center? Uh, so our souls in this, we live in an environment, a society that is so fast paced. It's like go after it in order, if you want to be someone in life, you got to go after it. Mm. Such a fast pace and, mm. and don't stop, don't stop, don't mm. stop. Yeah. And a lot of that drives addiction, y'all, because when you don't match up to that, you know, addiction works out really well for that. Mm -hmm. And so what Tai Chi uh, and yoga, too, but what they allow is, is to calm the, the brain, uh, the nervous system, and the soul uh, down and, and to bring them into uh, unity and, and to allow uh, a beautiful art to take place. Um, a lot of people that come into choices, one of their least favorite is, is Tai Chi. Mm. Uh, and that's because they got to slow down and be with themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no one, you know, you're coming into addiction, all mm -hmm. addiction is is the escape from oneself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the lack of connection to self. 
Uh, and so <laughs> when they're in that, uh, that's foreign territory for them. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but we, we, we softly encourage them to do that, you know, to, to get into that uncomfortable place. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Tai Chi is all about. And, and it's uh, manipulating energy also, energy that we can't see. You realize there's an entirely other show about energy, right? Between the three of us. Mm. Do you understand that? So, so obviously we hear mind, body, spirit as 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 the overarching thing happening. <clears throat> Do people live at Choices for Recovery? Uh, so we offer sober living for males. Uh, but we do not have a female component to that. So it, we are just an outpatient treatment center. Okay. Mm-hmm. And did I see you guys were opening a, a house? Is that happening? A female house? Mm-mm. No. Another house? An inpatient house or no? No, no. Okay. So. Not right now. Okay. Maybe I saw something Maybe else. that was a, in a dream. <laughs> Just say it. Just seeing the future. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so and obviously counseling and um, mm-hmm. is a component of it and you know I'm curious about you said we we don't just do the the, the 12 steps as a treatment mm-hmm. option what are some other um, you mentioned there's a Buddhist way mm-hmm. of, of doing treatment can you talk about some of those yeah so uh, I'll go back to the premise that in today's society in today we're losing more people than addiction now than ever. And yet, in some parts of our country, we're still stuck on this belief system of, we need to do it just this one way. This is the only way, this is the best way, let's continue to do that. Um, too many people are dying on a daily basis to continue with that. So, uh, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, uh, I came across uh, different pathways towards recovery, refuge recovery, which is based on the Buddhist philosophies. Um, of recovery, uh, smart recovery, which is based on mindfulness, the 16 steps, which is empowerment through Buddhism, um, uh, Y12 yoga, which is yoga based on the 12 steps, um, I've even started Heroin Anonymous, which is a 12 step uh, model. Um, but the, the intent behind all these is to create as many avenues to recovery as possible so people can make that choice in, into what they. Uh, or what they want to do. Uh, many people are, uh, are raised in in Christian uh, homes, and that didn't resonate with them growing mm-hmm. up. And a lot of the twelve step, even though they say they don't use the you know God and all that stuff, they do, you know. And as a a newcomer coming in, anything can throw people off. You know, mm-hmm. if they hear the word God, it's like I'm done, I'm over. And so. Um, when they have that choice of being able to choose all these different uh, self-help groups, uh, they're more inclined to stay sober as long as they follow that path. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever thought about that. I've certainly thought about that the 12-step program seems to have a, a Christian tie, mm-hmm. even though it says it doesn't. But I've never thought about if you're already wounded in your in your by your religion of origin, mm-hmm. and then... Saving your life depends on not only that work, but reconciling all of a sudden that wounding. Hello. Yeah. That's kind be, of a lot. too much, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Overwhelming. Um, I'd also like to touch on one more thing about um, that we offer at Choices, and, and I actually just did it with the crew this morning. 
it, it's a breathwork sequence. Have y'all ever done breathwork? We have. Are you gonna Are you gonna have us do it right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't have time for that. We frequently but, do breathwork. <laughs> yeah. So this version that I came across uh, when I was out in LA, uh, it's a. I've seen different uh, variations of breathwork, and this one is. Um, it's all through the mouth and it's stomach chest release stomach chest release and uh, it's for about 15 20 minutes and at the end you let out a primal scream and there's a few other things uh, that take place but what happens is um, the breath work releases these old pin-up energies and emotions and it's really tapping into our feeling bodies and these things arise and so much emotions come with this when they arise <laughs> And uh, a vibration starts to happen within your body, and you're literally vibrating. Mm -hmm. And then you let out that primal scream, and then it's coupled with the sound healing afterwards. So the sound healer comes in, and that whatever energy that you discharged or, or some released, the sound healing comes in afterwards and just takes it all right on out at the, at the cellular level. Uh, it's it's beautiful. So at this point, it's a shame that you guys aren't located next door <laughs> because there's things happening in this building that um, just the, the um, what's it called? Not symbiosis, synchronicity mm -hmm. of is pretty wild. We offer something here called dynamic meditation that starts the um, first week in November. And one of the components of dynamic meditation is um, 15 minutes of Primal screaming. No. <laughs> and not only primal screaming, but wailing and hysterical laughter and crying. And so I just experienced this last week. And when it was over with, um, I, it was like a high. It was, a, it was, there was a Kundalini situation going on that was beyond, it was something that you can't really achieve without that type of practice, right? Or the type of practice you're talking about. So we can relate to that. How's your neighbors like it? <laughs> we haven't really thought to ask. <laughs> Maybe they'll want to know what's happening in here. Like whatever. Um, Maybe we need to pipe that sound outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's that thing of the body has this wisdom in it, right? And the body has taken on all this stuff and is living with that. And so we believe that to to be on the spiritual path you can't the body can't be left left over here the body has been recording has been li a living wisdom organism and within it is all this stuff that still needs to be released so and that brings me to a question is how does um somebody with this history of addiction and all of the dark, there's a lot of light that's come from it, but the dark that's come from mm -hmm. it. Um, how do you navigate shame and guilt in your life now? Uh, well, said, I, I, I struggle with that still on a daily basis, you know. Um, I, I've followed the course of miracles for years that's mm -hmm. one of the things I followed and one of the emphasis is in there is about forgiveness and um, I do a lot of meditations around my heart uh, for forgiveness um, there are things that I've done in my past that I'm not proud of um, I've hurt a lot of people and I recognize that and I accept that 
I know that that is not who I am at the core level. Mm-hmm. I do, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, I still, uh, I still feel that, you know, I still feel that, and so that ongoing work and service to others, uh, to help others, uh, to get through that, to work with that. So I, I just do the best I can uh, on a day-to-day basis and continuing to work on forgiving myself. And what I've learned recently, uh, I had a deeper realization is the, the outside things, when I can forgive everything on the outside and on the inside, uh, I'm okay. Because me and you are in the same anyways. Mm. And so that's what the course is essentially all about, is when you come across these day-to-day experiences and something comes up within your body, and you're you're feeling that, and there's an energetic charge because of someone or because of their actions, forgive that person immediately um, at at a heart-based level, and uh, and that's when you're forgiving yourself for a past experience that has happened. That's really valuable. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I feel a little less fragile or slightly more fragile after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the course of miracles is all about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, it's like there's A, I get separation and anxiety when the show ends because we're having light filled, meaningful conversations mm. with um, real people, and it's like the juiciest. Uh, thing so there's that and then I normally after I feel that I go so when do you want to come on again (laughs) (laughs) so there's that and then there's just a feeling of um My mentor, John Donovan, tells me every single one of us holds value of, of who we are as a human being. We all hold value as a person. And, uh, and it's just about remembering that. Remembering about who we are, who we all are, who you are, who I am, um, as a person, as a unique soul. And, and that is that love that, that I felt in that room, that 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 evening when, after I had died. Mm-hmm. Um, so just trying to remember and remembering who we are. We all hold, hold value as a human being. Where can they reach out um, with any questions that they have? Um, feel free to call uh, Choices. Uh, the website is choicesforrecovery.org and our note, our number is one eight eight five five ninety eight sober, and that's one eight five five ninety eight sober. Great, Alice. We are so grateful for your graceful vulnerability here with us today. I think um, not only as a human being. But as a man, to sit in your authentic truth and be vulnerable to your core is a beacon of light for so many. Thank you very and much. we really appreciate you for doing that and, and stepping into your truth. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. And I appreciate the laughs over a topic that's really big and heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so I would just, uh, I'll end with this. I was just with this Dallas master out in San Diego and I was, uh, I was struggling. Um, so I kind of went out there first for some help. And he, and he looks at me and he goes, you know, we can't take ourselves so serious. <laughs> We're never going to get out of this thing. <laughs> and here's a Dallas master telling me this. And, it, and I, it brought a smile to my face. It brought a smile to my face. A hundred percent. That's, yeah, that's why I'm such a goofball. Because you have to do, you, ha- you have to have that side of it. Well, we need the joy. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's really where we should mm-hmm. be, is in the joy. Yeah, yeah. After the work, the joy. Yes. And after the joy, the laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining uh, Spiritual Charlotte this Wednesday. Um, Our next show is going to be, um, I believe, with Bill Wilder, who is a um, therapist in Mooresville. I almost forgot where we were, but we're in Mooresville. (laughs) And... uh, and Bill's going to be talking about a whole different dynamic of how men can um, do uh, their life in terms of spiral dynamics mm-hmm. and the Enneagram and some crazy-ass marriage that he's figured out between those two topics. And so, um, honestly, he's too smart for me, so we'll find <laughs> out. We find out where that leads. Thanks for joining the show, and uh, tune in next Wednesday at 9 a.m., where we'll keep the conversation going. Bye, everybody.